welcome all of you who've connected in on this marvelous January 2015 Sunday afternoon. This is Robert Rogers. I am the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. We are celebrating our 10-year anniversary since we were founded now 10 years ago. My program today will consist, first of all, of revealing the discovery, and I really do consider this to be a revolutionary discovery about really is what impeding the ability of more people to become fully and completely symptom-free. I'm going to then address a set of questions that have been submitted through emails or here on our event program system. And then if there's time permitting, I'll certainly open up the lines, and I'm happy to hear back from those of you who are connecting in today, either with suggestions, comments, reactions, questions, whatever you might want to have to offer. But right now, uh, we've got just me uh, talking, and no one else will be able to actually connect in at this particular moment in time. I'd like to then first start uh, to describe to you my own journey as a researcher, PhD-type university researcher, who decided to leave his university comfortable life as a tenured professor and launch a program of research that focuses on what does it really take to reverse completely the neurological symptoms that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I thought, why don't I just choose something that's really tough and difficult? Let me go outside the parameters of the scientific paradigm, which slows down progress and discovery by about a century or two. And let me quick start this. Let me really figure out what's really going on. What I want to do is describe to you my own journey. And, of course, what I'm going to do is to also reveal the revelation about what it is that obstruction blocks people's ability to reverse completely and totally their own symptoms. So what's really been something that's puzzled me for so long now? I've identified many, many different therapies that are helping people reverse their symptoms. And yes, there are many people who have marvelous stories about how successful they have been in feeling so, so much better. And yet, when you really dig down deeply, it appears as though there are still some symptoms that linger on. In other words, they are not symptom-free. So I've really been puzzled by some people have accomplished this and we celebrate their victory, and yet why don't we hear stories from everyone who launches this journey down the road to recovery? So that's been the puzzle to me. Why aren't there more stories and reports of people who can celebrate their ability to become totally and completely symptom-free? I want to start my report here at the outset with a comment about the type of question that I consistently get from people who call me on the phone on the long-distance number, free, and also people who email me questions. So now that I've become, after 10 years, the international expert on the kinds of options that are helping people reverse their symptoms, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of calls. They, most of them, I'd say 98%, follow really the very same template. And here's what the person wants to know. 
what they typically will say is, well, I, I saw what you wrote on the blog this week, or I just heard a radio show that you aired, and it could have been a show I aired two or three years ago, and Dr. So-and-so or this professional or that healthcare provider recommended, and then again, there's treatment X or treatment Y. And then the question might be, my husband or I or my wife, uh, here's the situation, uh, and gives, they give me typically a really brief kind of a snapshot of what the challenges are that they currently confront. And then the question is popped. The question is, will this treatment, and again, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of treatments, so I get calls about all sorts of possible options people can consider. Will this really help me? Will this help my family member? Will this help my husband? Will this help my wife? Should I do this? And so that's the kind of dynamic that I'm confronted with day in and day out. So, of course, what I'd like to hear if I were on the other end of the phone would be the following answer. You betcha, you try this technique, and I'm here to tell you, I'm the resident expert. Everybody comes to me for advice, and I can tell you right now, if you do this, you're going to be marveling at the success that you actually experience. Because I can tell you right now, I've talked to all the people involved with this treatment or this therapy, and it's the real deal. You can't go wrong. That's not the answer I give to people and I have to report, I can hear the disappointment on the other end of the phone. There's a sigh, and sometimes there are follow-up kind of questions. Because what I say is, well, I obviously don't have a clue about whether or not that particular therapy will, in fact, be beneficial. Now, I can answer questions about the treatment or the therapy. I technically know what it is. I've interviewed people who've done it. Many of these therapies I've actually experienced myself, so I can talk about my own experience. But when it comes to basically saying this is what you need to do, I'm always hesitant. I'm always shying back. Why? It's not because I'm a chicken. It's because I don't know whether or not any therapy is going to help anybody. So let me start at the outset with that's what people out there really would like to know. What is it that I can do for myself that will fix the problem? You're the one who knows, so give me the answer. So let me start from there. And let me now move to a little story that I want to tell uh, about how I started on this journey. We're talking 10 years ago in 2004. I had just uh, resigned my wonderful position at the University of Kentucky as a, as a tenured professor in charge of the graduate uh, studies program in health. And I moved to Washington State, and I decided I wanted to engage in this research program that I thought would be particularly challenging. Uh, I'd been successful as a professor, but I really felt like I had not made much of a contribution, and I wanted to really make a difference to a lot of people. So I decided, well, my mother had Parkinson's disease. My uncle had Parkinson's disease. I've seen its horrible manifestations in both of those individuals who I love dearly. And I thought, well, why don't I just focus on that? I know a lot about health issues, and I've actually studied to be a healer. I've been a healer, actually, for five or six years, though I no longer do that anymore. So I know a lot about health, and I thought, why don't I just pursue that as a research topic? 
Now, the agenda that I had at the outset was to identify a therapy that would help reverse the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Notice I said one or a therapy. I thought, <coughs> excuse me, there's got to be something out there, and there's got to be an answer that people can pursue. Wasn't sure what that was, but I figured it's got to be something. And I had actually, one of my many ancillary activities has been to get training in these different other kinds of modalities, healing modalities, because I find them so fascinating. So I actually got trained in sort of, <coughs> my apologies, in cranial sacral therapy. So uh, we decided, uh, three of us, to get together after an invitation from a Portland support group who happened to be interested in natural healing modalities to go down and offer a set of therapies to this particular group of 11 individuals. So they were research volunteers. We were therapists who were volunteers. And so we took about six months of time. As a researcher, I conducted assessments before we started and we did assessments after we got to know a lot of the people in the group they became some of them wonderful friends so it was a wonderful experience and what the, what really evolved out of that very initial contact in my research program was the amazing discovery that there were many many factors that wound up being the cause of these parkinson's symptoms it was anything but a simple kind of an issue. So among the 11 individuals who, again, we had extensive background information on and, and extensive interviews and even inter uh, videos that were taken of each individual, it was obvious that for each individual it was a very different kind of set of circumstances. So then I backed up and I thought, oh my goodness, okay. And by the way, the result of our little study showed that, yeah, well, gee, cranial sacral therapy does help. And the average improvement of people just after uh, basically six very short 20-minute sessions over about a two- or three-month period wound up being about 13 or 14 percent improvement in symptoms. And some people had incredible improvement. I mean, we're talking 60 or 70 percent. Other people, the improvement was really very modest. But on average, everybody got better. So I thought, well, that's quite wonderful news. Obviously, we've got one therapy that helps, but it's not... It's not the panacea. It's not the kind of thing that's going to basically solve the problem for people. And we figured that was the case even if we continued doing these treatments for even a full year or a year and a half or two years. Now, the next clue to me about the fact that that wasn't the solution was at the end of our study, we told our participants that we would be happy to continue doing these treatments for people, but instead of going down to Portland, Oregon, what we ask is that people come up to Olympia, Washington. So I thought, well, I wonder how many people felt that it was beneficial enough for them to take the time to drive up. It's about an hour drive and to receive their treatments, and we were willing to do that as volunteers, no cost involved. And as it turned out, of the 11 individuals, uh, only one person took up uh, that particular offer. And that was information to suggest to me that, okay, looks like there's not going to be a single therapy that's going to do the trick. And I don't, you know, fill in the blank. And as I began to scan across the published research and I began to do my interviews with people across the globe, what I discovered is, my goodness, there are just dozens and dozens of these incredible therapies 
that are really helping people reverse their symptoms. And I don't care which one you actually focus on, they all help to a certain degree. I thought, that's marvelous. It's like there wasn't really any therapy that I could see much definitive evidence that was really doing any harm. In other words, it wasn't making people worse. So I was very excited. And I decided that, well, what I need to do is to stop and I need to document all of these different therapies for people. Because certainly back in 2005, 6, and 7, people were unaware of these many different options. For example, even exercise that I began documenting long before people realized how useful and helpful it was. Reality is a lot of people with Parkinson's symptoms were not aware that exercise was helpful. So radio show after radio show, blog after blog, I began to detail these dozens and dozens of just marvelous options. And I, quite frankly, uh, became enamored with with learning about all of these myself because obviously it, it had a big impact not only on me personally but my family as well as my friends because we spread the word very quickly about what we were discovering. And better yet, I was able to get on my radio show very well-known and famous and reputable people who really knew what they were talking about. So I took all of this information, and what I got back was, can't you organize this for us? There's so much we're really overwhelmed. So I went ahead and wrote Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. So I documented what we had discovered wound up being the causes of Parkinson's symptoms, and there are many, and also the treatments that were helping people reverse those symptoms. So I was very proud of that book. It's been well-received. Uh, many, many people buy that every month. It's very helpful. So that was exciting work. And yet there were some concerns that I had about some of these particular therapies. And let me just focus on one. If you focus on the therapy of exercise, there's no question but that Exercise helps people feel better. It does suppress symptoms. There's no doubt about that. So I recommend exercise to everybody. I think anyone, whether they have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease or not, anyone should exercise. Yet, as it turns out, exercise actually induces endorphins in the body, and that suppresses the symptoms. You haven't found the cause, you've simply suppressed the symptoms. So that's an important thing to do for all of us. And yet, what's really causing what's going on? All right, what was the next step of my journey as a researcher into identifying what, it, what could happen for people that would truly make a remarkable difference in helping them heal to become fully healthy? Well, at that point, uh, Deborah and I began talking about what we needed to do was to create a healing center in Portland, uh, in uh, maybe in Portland, but I think more we were thinking of Olympia, Washington, where we actually live. So we began driving around town and looking at various buildings, and then we began to dream about the kind of configuration of a healing center. And I continued to get inquiries from people, and the phone question or the email would say, do you have a healing center? We will come today. People were obviously needing to come to a place that could house the kind of therapies that would really help people reverse their symptoms. And I thought, well, we know that there are a lot of therapies that make a difference. Why don't we just combine these together? Wow, what a powerful thing. 
and how helpful that would be to people who were really looking for ways to heal what it is that they were currently confronting. So in this particular healing center, we had the ideas of housing, maybe not permanently, but certainly a staff of resources like naturopaths, medical doctors, of course, cranial sacral therapists, bowen therapists, herbalists, aromatherapists, energy healers, people who could do Tai Chi and Qigong. How about a Geiger MD machine? For those of you who knew about that, in other words, we'd have to get a physical therapist in there who could help people run that. Electrodermal stimulation, biontology. Uh, how about some holistic diagnostics for symptoms or exercise classes, classes in eating healthy food, classes in how to detox, uh, some energy psychologists. We even have a wonderful man here who does that work. There are not many in the country. How about EFT and, and acupuncture and chiropractic stretching and maybe getting somebody like John O'Dwyer, who's one of the hosts of Sunday Connections, to come over here and, and be a part of the staff and do the wonderful work that he does in terms of helping people to heal their trapped emotions. And I thought all of these wonderful ideas of what we could do for this particular healing center. Now, now don't, go, don't get me wrong. I had no idea how I was going to pay for this. But we figured if we set out the intention, we'd figure out a way to make it happen. And yet, with all of that dreaming, something held me back. That is, somehow, and I can't tell you what it was, that didn't really materialize. We kept thinking about it, we kept talking about it, and yet didn't really happen. Calls kept coming in, obviously there was a demand for this, but I didn't really act on that. Now, what was also happening during this particular time was I kept asking the question, what really is the root cause of the symptoms that people experience? In other words, what's really going on here? Now, obviously, we had already determined that toxins were one of the culprits, and clearly I had figured out that trauma and thought forms were also problematic. So I knew that there were some, some clear root causes that were creating problems for people that were pretty serious. And what I began to discover as I worked with more and more people, sometimes doing consultations and sometimes just working with groups, was that pretty much everybody had some traumas in their life. They tend to uh, sustain a high level of anxiety, in some cases fear. There were some truly deeply hidden emotional issues. It's surprising the number of people who have connections in one way or another through their families to the Holocaust and to war. So trauma was clearly a big issue in terms of what was at the core of what was happening to people. I also discovered that family entanglements was also obstructing and blocking a lot of people's recovery. And so there are things that happen in family systems that wind up impeding the ability of a person to really fully and completely reverse whatever symptoms they currently experience. So I had these revelations, and I thought, yeah, these are all important. Trauma is where it's at. Now, I was the only person talking about that at the time, but thankfully other people have joined with me here over the last three or four years. Trauma, trapped emotions, blocked emotions, those are all big, big factors in terms of what it is that's happening to people and why it is that people are not being successful in reversing their symptoms. Now, many people, again, ask me, well, how come I don't have a, a program of recovery? 
In other words, other people have programs of recovery, and you can enroll in those programs, and you can find out exactly what you have to do in order to reverse their symptoms. And, of course, what I would always tell people is, well, what we've discovered through our research is that the factors that cause your personal and individual symptoms are going to be very unique to you. And uh, the fact is that what it's going to take to reverse those symptoms are also going to be unique to you. So the therapies that will work for you are not necessarily going to work for another person. And that turns out to be entirely true. So that was an an accurate uh, response uh, in terms of the questions from people about why I didn't have a specific uh, detailed step-by-step program of exactly what you must do and have to do to reverse your symptoms. So other people then would kind of follow up and say, well, if you know all about this, if you're really somebody who is this great top-notch researcher, why can't I you know, design a step-by-step program that would really be highly successful, that would work, that would do what it is that we know the body can do, which is to reverse all of their symptoms? And I thought, well, boy, you know, if I could really figure out a, a program that would do that, obviously – it would serve a wonderful demand and need from the Parkinson's community. So I was enticed by that, but still I thought, I don't think I really know exactly what that would entail. Given the complexity of causes, where do you really start? Maybe 3% of the program pertains to one person, and and 8% of the program pertains to a second person, but a lot of the program's not going to be relevant. So how do I really do something that helps everyone? All right. Now, here's another observation that I discovered over the last 10 years, and this became more and more apparent as the years passed. When we would do the live Jumpstart to Recovery programs for large groups, and we would go into certain exercises like meditations, all of the symptoms in the room quieted. They subsided. If an outsider had walked into the room when we were doing any of this work and they looked at the crowd, there would be no clue whatsoever that anybody in that room had any disease or any physical challenges whatsoever. Faces were not masked, Uh, there was no tremoring, there was no stumbling, there were no issues with walking. Everybody looked really very, very normal. Now, this particular outcome is also experienced, and many of you who are listening have already had this experience. When you get something like cranial sacral therapy or body work or any of the kinds of treatments that uh, people can be exposed to, Uh, oftentimes what you'll discover is you go in and the symptoms are just flaring. You're having difficulty not only thinking, but walking straight, walking carefully and mindfully and safely. You're having trouble with tremors. Everything seems to be haywire. You're feeling like you have no energy. And then all of a sudden you begin to get this therapy. And again, there are many therapies that, in essence, for individuals uh, will do just this. And what happens is when they begin the therapy, all of a sudden, all of these symptoms dissolve, and they're good to go. Uh, They don't feel any of the loss of energy. They don't feel any tremoring. They don't feel any difficulty with mobility or walking. And some people, even some people who listen to some of the meditations that I recorded, and, for example, Five Steps to Recovery, they emailed me back and they said, wow, I can't believe it. 
I listened to your meditation, and they would tell me which one. It was about, I think, a 30 or 45-minute meditation, and I was symptom-free for three solid days, and that was just from listening to that one meditation. All right, that's rather interesting. And finally, this is the most startling observation that I made over the years, I had report after report after report. It came through emails. It came through phone calls. It came through my radio show from person after person. And here's what the report would say. Uh, I'm going to refer to just an example, but there are many, many different ways that people have of engaging in an activity that will reduce and eliminate all of their symptoms. But the phone call or the email would say something to this effect. They would say, you know what? When I was younger, I used to be a champion ping-pong player, and when I began to have and experience these symptoms of Parkinson's, I stopped playing ping-pong. I thought, no, no, there's no way that I can do that. I'm having trouble with my coordination. And then for some reason, I thought I was inspired by listening to your radio show last week. I thought, well, i just pick up a paddle and see, see what can happen. And the report is just amazing. What the person says is, you know what? I start playing. I pick up the paddle. I get the ball. I get an opponent. And I am as good at ping pong as I was when I was 26 years old. And I was a champion ping pong player. I said, I have no symptoms. I'm good to go. All right. That's just one example of ping pong. But fill in the blank for yourself. And you'll probably think of some activity that you can do. And all of a sudden, Symptoms are simply not problematic. They're not in your face. They're irrelevant, and nobody else notices there's any problem at all. That activity may be doing a comic routine on a stage. It may be riding a bicycle. It may be uh, walking out in the wilderness. It may be painting or playing music or telling jokes to your friends or cooking. Whatever that activity is, as it turns out, the symptoms all of a sudden seem to dissolve. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Why can't that just be permanent? I mean, I don't get it. Why is it that you can turn this on and turn this off so quickly? That's really curious. And I want to say, this is not just one story I've heard from an individual. I heard story after story after story from people. And then they would basically say, yeah. And then, of course, for like, like let's say a person who reported they loved to make furniture and, and, and didn't realize this until they had Parkinson's, so they began to do that as a hobby. And whenever they would be making the furniture, there were no symptoms at all. But when they would stop making the symptoms, then the, the symptoms would tend to kind of rear their ugly head back in. Okay. So when they're doing what they love to do, no problem. When they're not doing what they love to do, then it seems to be that symptoms wind up being problematic. Now, the next revelation was when I looked back at all the people that I'd interviewed, and I've interviewed many people on my radio show who were able to figure out ways of reversing their symptoms, I then took all of those and I summarized them in a book. Many of you have that book or have seen that book. It's called Pioneers of Recovery. There are 11 stories of people who figured out ways to reverse their symptoms. Now, the the incredible part of these stories that overwhelmed me, I must say, is every story is different. It's almost amazing. You read the first story and you think to yourself, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting solution. I wonder if that will work for me. And then you go to the second story. It's entirely different. What the person did 
has no similarities whatsoever to the first story. And again, you get to the third story, it's the same kind of a reaction. It's like, wow, all of these people had these Parkinson's symptoms, and they found out different ways of being able to reverse them. And in that book, some people were successful in reversing their symptoms partially, and then some of them really permanently, so they have no symptoms whatsoever. So this was an interesting revolution revolution in the sense that I thought, hmm, interesting. So everybody's journey on the process of recovery winds up being very unique and idiosyncratic to them. So now the question really turns on why is it then, and this is what you've called in for, why is it that everybody can't, actually get to the point where they're not struggling with symptoms. What's really actually going on? And what I finally discovered, and I have to tell you, after 10 years, I really did not clearly understand this until just about a month ago. The problem is a problem of control over your recovery. The problem you see is that when people accede control over their recovery to someone else, then all of a sudden they've given up the control that they so desperately must maintain in order to fully and completely reverse their symptoms. Now, one of the participants in the Jumpstart to Recovery program had a report last week on his progress, which was really quite remarkable. And basically what he said was that what he decided to do is to take control over his program. And so what he decided to do is to use his own intuition about making all decisions about his own recovery. So instead of deferring to what somebody else said he should do, he decided, well, forget what anybody else says. What I need to do is to check in with myself. I've got great intuition, so let me trust my intuition to always give me the right answer. And so he checked in with himself, and every decision he made throughout the day about what he needed to do was based on his intuition, not what somebody said he had to do. And that involved taking medicines or pills or you name it. And he said, you wouldn't believe the results. He said, my symptoms are half what they were the week before. Now, I want to say that is absolutely incredible. Now, you might want to say, well, okay, but why is control so important? I mean, after all, when you get diagnosed, you don't really know what's wrong. You've got to go to somebody to get some kind of an assessment of what's going on so you can get some outside help. Here's really the reason. I've already said and I've already concluded from my research that underlying the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, there is trauma that has been experienced. When I use the word trauma, it could certainly be physical trauma in the form of physical accidents, and it can also be emotional trauma in the form of abuse, which could have occurred in early childhood or even at childbirth for people who had, get this, cesarean sections. That can be so traumatic that a person can carry that for the rest of their life. 
Now, many people have trauma throughout their life of one form or another. They're dealing with family members who are mentally ill. They are attacked for some reason. They have difficulty in their jobs with, again, bosses who are deceitful and manipulative. They are perhaps drawn into court in court suits that were unfounded. In other words, most people who have responsible jobs wind up confronting some very traumatic challenges in their life. So I want to say we know everybody has experienced trauma, some people much more extensively than others, particularly any of those of you who are listening to this today who have been in the context of war time. That is profound trauma that begins to be released. There are also issues for those of you who are calling in, and I can't believe the number of people that I have really connected with here just in the last several months, whose family have been victims of the Holocaust. Now, you personally didn't experience that, but it could be your parents or your grandparents or other family members were victims of the Holocaust, and I can assure you that that is in a profound trauma that creates an entanglement in your own family system. Many people have been abused as children, either emotionally or physically. Many people simply had parents who certainly loved them, but they were controlling parents. In other words, they wanted to basically dictate to the child what it was that they actually thought the child needed to do. That should resonate with many of you. The father, for example, wanted the son to take over the family business, or the father really wanted the son to become a medical doctor or a lawyer. And so instead of the son or, or the daughter being able to think for themselves and say, well, I want to be a ballerina instead of a medical doctor, rather the parent through a lot of control, was essentially insisting that the education that they get be one not of a ballerina. So uh, that should also resonate with, with many of you. So I'm trying to give you a number of different examples of trauma. Much of trauma, my own experience has been, is unconscious. And I've actually been able to identify some traumas I had in my early childhood that I had basically forgotten, which is what we do. We deny it. We forget it because it was so horrible. We, as a child, what are we supposed to do when we're the victim of a trauma? Uh, as just a short example of what happened to me. So, again, trying to make sure you all understand how if you're thinking, no, I didn't really have trauma when I was growing up, it may be that you've suppressed the memories of that just like I did. So one of the routines when I was growing up as a very small child was, that when I was bad, uh, both my parents, uh, both my mother and my father, would hold my hand and get out a switch, uh, basically a branch from the backyard, and they would whack the back of my hand, whack, whack, whack. And when I think back, I didn't think that physically was that big of a deal. But uh, what I do know is that my mother kept having to take me to the doctor because I had these huge boils on the hand that she struck. Now, she never really admitted or acknowledged that it was caused by the striking, and that was an emotional boil. It, it wasn't a physical. It was emotional. So all of a sudden, wait a minute, that's abuse that I experienced. It was actually physical abuse as well as emotional abuse. So how am I going to actually release that? If I continue to hold on to that at the cellular level, that will ultimately affect my health. All right. 
So having now made the argument that I think everybody listening in to this program can resonate with some traumas that you've experienced in your life, whether it was at the point of your birth, early childhood, teenagerhood, early adulthood, for those of you who are older, as you've had to process through the issues in your own family system and financial issues, these are all stresses and traumas that have a huge impact on all of this. All right. When trauma is present, you nor I have any control. Do you see what's happening? We can't control what's going on. When my mother, and I was only three years old, would hold my hand and take that switch and whap me, I wasn't strong enough to be able to pull away. I couldn't stop the switching. When there is abuse by a family member to a child, and the child is small, physically the child can't avoid the abuse. When there's mental abuse, when there are words that are spoken, we, we can't control, we can't stop that, especially if the person is a family member. In other words, in situations where there happens to be trauma, we are not in control of our lives. So as we begin to grow up, control winds up being a formidable and a central issue in our lives. We want to take control over our life. That's central. That's what we want to do. That's important to us, and it's important to our health. So, so intuitively, we know that that actually has to happen. All right. What happens when a person goes to the doctor and after the doctor watches them walk up and down for a minute and perhaps I ask them to uh, point their fingers here or there and the doctor looks at them and they say, you have Parkinson's disease. And, you know, they're a very reputable person. Everybody says they're the expert uh, nationally in this particular area so they know what they're talking about. And... The next thing that they say to you as they look directly into your eyes is, and uh, what I need to also let you know is, this is a, hold on to your seats, degenerative condition. In other words, you, I'm sorry to say, have no control. You're going to get worse. Sorry about that. Now, do you see what's happening here? You're being re-traumatized. You are being told in a situation that this is happening to you, and I'm really very sorry, but it's inevitable. You're going to be in a nursing home. You're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. Too bad. Well, there it is. The issue then winds up being whether or not you're going to let that happen or not. The people who are becoming symptom-free are the people who basically say, that's not true. I'm not taking that. I'm sorry, but I know the body can heal itself, so I'm going to figure this out for myself. And they do, and the answers that they find are very unique to their situation, to their preferences, to their background, to their life. That's the answer. The answer is to take control over your own recovery. Now, I'm the expert. So you call me up and you say, what should I do? 
and I say, well, here, here's what you should do, number one, number two, and number three. Now, do you do number one and number two and number three because I said that you need to do it? You don't have any control. You are assuming that this is what needs to happen. So, again, you are acceding control to someone else. The key is to say, okay, that's information. Let me check in with my own sense of what I need to do, what's right for me. I'm going to check with my intuition, and I'm going to make the decision. I'm not going to do this just because you say I need to do it. Now, as an example, a lot of people will listen to one of my radio shows, and somebody will recommend, here's what you should do in order to be able to feel better. And perhaps it's a exercise kind of a suggestion where go out and walk 20 minutes, and then the next day you need to have a little bit of stress exercises for eight minutes, and then the third day you need to have a little aerobics, and they'll give you some examples of that. So the person listens and they say, okay, yeah, that's what I need to do. So I'm going to start doing that because they said I need to do it. So they start out in the first day, and they start walking, and they think to my, themselves, this doesn't, oh, I feel awful. I just, I, this is not right for me. And the second day, they try the same thing, but, you know, it's, it just it doesn't suit who they are. They were a swimmer. They're not a walker. They're a swimmer. So what are they doing out there trying to walk in the street? You see, my point is simply that, Yes, of course you've got to get ideas from listening to radio shows about the kinds of things that you can do. And yes, we do need help from other people in being able to reverse these symptoms. But if you are always looking to some outside source for the answer, you may well get some relief of symptoms. That's what my research reveals. Any of these natural options, yeah, it looks like they're going to help some. You're going to feel a little bit better. But are you really serious about fully and completely reversing your symptoms, of becoming symptom-free? Well, to do that, instead of saying, okay, uh, I'm sick, and what I have to do is I have to, let's see, Looks like it's neurological, so I'm going to be referred to a specialist. I go to the doctor, neurologist, and they say, this is what's wrong with me, and what I have to do is to take these pills. So that's what the doctor said. That's what I'm going to do. You know, doctor must be right. So in other words, you see, it's not that that's a good or a bad solution. The key is, are you giving up control to that doctor? Are you saying the doctor must know best? It's not me that knows. I need to give over control of this to somebody who's the expert. That's the problem, folks. When you give up your control, then you basically also give up the promise and prospect of being able to fully and completely recover. Now, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, yes, I recommend you take this medication, and your intuition tells you that's exactly what I need to do right now, and I can figure out for myself probably how much I need to take. So, you know, you're always checking in. You're perhaps muscle testing if you know how to do that, but you're always asking your body, you're asking yourself, does this feel right? Do I really know that this is something that's going to help me? So it's not a question of one therapy being the best or better than another. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is from deep inside you, what is it that you need to do in order to be able to heal yourself? You know the answers to that. 
Now, let me also give a summary of the kinds of conversations I've had over the last 10 years with people who go something like this. We'll talk some about their symptoms, and then about four or five minutes into the conversation, maybe 10 minutes, I'll say, do you have any idea what might have caused or be causing these symptoms? And it's amazing. Oftentimes, there may be a pause of a, of a second or two, but oftentimes there's an immediate response. What the person says was, well, yeah, when I was a, a photographer for 20 years, I always did my developing with my bare hands. <laughs> so the person knows what the source of the problem is. And then the next question I'll usually ask is, oh, my goodness, so what kind of detoxing have you done for yourself? And the answer is, well, I haven't done any of that. I haven't done that. So you see, the person is not following their own instincts. They know that they were exposed to toxins. They know they have toxins in their body. So if they were true to themselves, they would know that what they need to do now in order to be able to become symptom-free is to address that specific problem. So there are also issues with regard to people who have very specific programs of recovery. And there are many wonderful programs out there that have been created and invented. Some of the people who are hosts of Sunday Connections have programs that are stellar. I mean, these are outstanding programs, suggestions of what you can do that will make a huge difference. And some of them are very, very structured programs that you can enroll in. Now, what's the real result of these structured programs? The bottom line, I don't care what program you look at, is some people will basically report and find that they do fully, fully recover. It's amazing. And on these people's websites, what you'll see is testimonials. Now, these aren't made-up testimonials. These are real people talking about their real, wonderful outcome. However, that's not everyone who does the program. Some people who do the program give up. Now, how do I know that? Well, people tell me, I tried this person's program or that person's program. I tried it for a year or two years, and, and well, I didn't notice any difference, so finally I just gave up. Okay, so what's really going on here? Why is it that the program works for some people, but for other people it doesn't? And the answer is, are they doing the program because inside their heart, mind, and soul, it is they know the right course of action for them. In other words, is this their program or is this a program that somebody else said should work? And so what happened was you said, well, let me, let me look at what this person is. Wow, yeah, well, they are a credible person, no doubt about that. And they've got some great ideas. And look at these testimonials of people that say they're going to, you know, they fully recovered. So you say to yourself, okay, well, Shoot, looks like, you know, I'll buy that. I'll do that program. And so what happens is people do it. They get it. Some of them are very expensive. Some of them are very inexpensive. Some of them are free. You can do them basically from the materials that people have on the Internet. You start in. You do the structured system that's recommended. And, again, if it calls to people's preferences and when they feel like they're in control of what they're doing, then the program works if they feel like they're doing it because somebody else said they needed to do it to get well, it really doesn't work. So you see, the underlying issue here is whether or not 
control over each and every moment-by-moment decision is maintained by the person or lost by the person. Every time you give up control to another person, you are re-traumatizing yourself. That's what happens. And that's the problem. Why is it that the symptoms don't vanish instantly? Because you are always giving up control over your own destiny. I believe now, and I would have never said this 10 years ago, that it's possible to reverse these symptoms now, the cause for these symptoms now. I used to answer the question, well, how long does it take by the research that I had collected? And that is, well, some people, it's been a couple of weeks. Other people, it's three and a half years. The mean average is about nine or ten months. That's the kind of answer that I would give. Well, maybe that's what people discovered in terms of what helped them on average. But the reality is that's just a thought form. If you believe it's going to take a long time for you to reverse all of your symptoms, Duh, it will take a long time for you to reverse all of your symptoms. So I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Let's think back on this. Think back on all of those situations that I've personally observed in these workshops that we've done with live individuals where all of a sudden the symptoms vanished. Nobody has any symptoms. Why can't that happen all the time for people? And the answer is it can happen because people are continually finding themselves in situations where they are no longer in control of their lives. They are giving up control. They're buying in to the assertion that their condition is, quote, degenerative and, quote, progressive. What horrible, what traumatizing words those are. They are not true. It's not true. You can do this now. It's a question of literally thinking about watching a very bad program on the television. And you think to yourself, this program is depressing. My God, why am I watching this? So what do you do? You say to yourself, well, I can continue watching this program or I can change the channel. Let's change the channel and that's watch and participate in a program that gives us energy and enthusiasm, that motivates us to get out and do what it is that we are here in this world to do. Literally, I think the issue of being able to reverse symptoms is literally a question as easy as changing the channel. And changing the channel means that you assume control over each and every decision that you make. You check in with yourself and you ask yourself, is this right for me or not? And when you know that it's right, take action and my God, I think you're going to discover that that's the gateway to becoming symptom-free. Yes, you can go and you can take many of these wonderful therapies that I've documented in Road to Recovery. You can do them, and the difference is if you do them because the evidence that I've collected and gathered and reported would would say that doing this therapy will help reverse your symptoms, if you're doing it because somebody else says that that's the case, 
then, yeah, you'll get some reduction in symptoms. I wouldn't doubt at all that the therapies that we found help really will help. But are you doing it because you see that therapy and then all of a sudden you adopt that therapy as your own? And you say to yourself, my God, that's it. That's what I need to do in order to maintain my health and my sanity. So, see, the bottom line is that these neurological problems are all connected to stress and trauma. That's where it's really at. And when we feel this stress and this trauma continuously, we're not even aware how excited it makes our neurological system. Now, the way I can explain this is because we're in our bodies and we live the life that we live, we have a certain level of excitation that we sustain, literally. And because we've never known any other way, we don't realize that there's another channel that we can connect to, which is a channel of centeredness and relaxation. So we're always on alert. When people have been traumatized, they are always on alert. They are always looking to see when the next trauma is coming around the corner. For any of you who have ever been robbed or your homes have been burglarized, you know the feeling I'm talking about. You, your, your home is burglarized and it feels as though you've been raped and week after week, month after month, year after year, you're always worrying that that's going to happen again, that somebody's going to blast into your home, maybe even do some physical harm to you. Okay, that's sustaining a high level of stress and and anxiety in the body. It pumps out all of those stress hormones, so you're always on alert. That's going to create havoc with your neurological symptoms. So the reality is you've got to recognize that that way of that habit of excitation has to be shifted, and it, and it needs to be shifted now, today. Not a question of waiting a month or two or waiting for one therapist or another to help you. You do it yourself. You get in control and you make that happen yourself. So my discovery is that the reason why hundreds of thousands of people have not fully and completely reversed their symptoms who are pursuing all sorts of therapies and doing the best they can to figure out what's really going on with their bodies is because they have acceded and given up control to some other presumed expert. So let me say to you, if you've ever heard me make a recommendation of one therapy or another, it's because I do believe it's something that would be helpful. But whatever you do, do not pursue that and do not do that unless you check in and you feel as though, using your own intuition and your own instincts, that that is the right thing for you to do. Stay in control. When you are in control, I think you will marvel at how much of a reduction in symptoms you will experience. So the root cause of the problem is all of a sudden addressed moment to moment. When you address the root cause, there may be some physical manifestations of having to be always traumatized over a course of a lifetime, which means that, for example, the myelon sheaths in your neurons may basically have eroded. 
that's going to short-circuit your neurological system. Yeah, it may be that it will be difficult to address tremors until those sheaths are rebuilt. But for many people who don't have that severe progression or even a buildup of calcium in their neural networks, then being able to switch the channel will have immediate result. What you'll be able to see is the symptoms are no longer present. So being able to monitor that yourself, taking control over your thoughts moment to moment, make the difference that will be the difference in being able to completely reverse your symptoms. So what is the revolutionary discovery? The revolutionary discovery is want to be symptom-free, Take control over each and every decision you make over your own recovery. Use your own intuition, and you will marvel at the actual result. Now, having given you a preview of where I'm at today, what I can tell you is that as a result of this discovery, we decided that what we would do is offer the Jumpstart to Recovery program, which focuses on facilitating the ability of people to take control over their own healing. That's what Jumpstart to Recovery is basically all about. And so we talk about everything that you can do for yourself to essentially address the problems with thought forms that are not in your best and highest good. We address the issues of all the kinds of things you can do for yourself that will release the traumas that are obstructing your recovery and we help you figure out how to identify the entanglements in your family systems and release those entanglements. In other words, you're in control throughout. It's anything but a structured program, but it is structured in the sense that we are identifying at the core what it is that is obstructing your ability to become symptom-free. And as you can well tell by my explanation, it's not about detailing one therapy or another or one supplement over another. That's all covered in the books. You can get that by simply reading the books. It's about healing from the inside out rather than healing from the outside in. And again, when you're in control, you can make that happen now. For those of you listening, just so you know, We've had our January program uh, underway, and we'll be concluding that in several weeks of the Jumpstart to Recovery program. It's an Internet program where we connect in here on the phone, and everybody has a chance to talk about their own journey and discuss what it is that's going on with them. The March program uh, will essentially consist of only 10 individuals, too, so it's a very limited opportunity to be able to get some support. But I'm here for you. And I have to tell you, we've got five enrollments already, so there's still five enrollments that are open, a person from Arizona, Alabama, Florida, British Columbia, and the Netherlands. And so there are five spots still left to fill. If you'd like to be able to get support so that you can really be able to take control over your healing from the symptoms associated with Parkinson's disease, then sign up. It's it's like an early bird special. It's only $300. You get access to all the materials forever, and I'm creating those materials now. And so we're getting more and more wonderful kinds of supports uh, developed as I'm actually uh, offering and uh, presenting this program. So I think you'll be amazed at the kind of support that you're going to get by by becoming a part of the program. So sign up if you'd like. 
and it would be a pleasure and an honor for me to be able to connect with you. The sign-ups are jumpstart, J-U-M-P-S-T-A-R-T, dot parkinsonsrecovery.com, or, of course, you can always call me or email me, robert at parkinsonsrecovery.com. I may offer one more program at a more convenient time for people in Australia during 2015, so this may not be the actual last live program that we'll actually support. But for now, that's what's up and that's what's available if you'd like to be able to get extra support in being able to take complete and total control over the decisions that you make for what you need to do to reverse the symptoms that are associated with your own Parkinson's disease. So the one recommendation I've got for everybody that I made to my Jumpstart to Recovery uh, group of 10 marvelous individuals just this last week is watch a movie this week. Get it at your library. It's called Con Tiki. It's about, it's a wonderful story. And you may have read this when you were in uh, high school. It's a little book that was written by a story of a man named Thor. He was a Norwegian who basically had this idea that the Philippine Islands were discovered by explorers from Peru, South America. Nobody else believed them. All the scientists poo-pooed it. National Geographic said, you're crazy. Everybody said, no, 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 this is not right. You can't do that. It's just like the people who are the supposed experts on Parkinson's disease who tell you, yeah, there's no way you can get better. Poo, poo, poo. Forget it. You know, all these people out here saying that there are natural ways to get well, they're all crazy. All right, it's the same thing. But watch what he does. Everybody else says he's crazy, but he he launches the journey. He makes it happen. He spends his own money, and he proves his theory. It's really an exciting story. And if you want to be motivated to be able to take control over your own recovery program, watch Contiki. Again, it's a marvelous, wonderful documentary. It got, I think, the best documentary in 2012. It's a well-done movie. It's entertaining. But it's also an inspiration for those of you who have acceded control to other people who are in authority instead of trusting your own instincts and relying on your own judgments. Yes, you can say, well, I am an authority. Yes, I am a Ph.D. Yes, I am a researcher. Yes, you can, you can put me in a white coat if you want, but the last thing I want you to hear is whatever you do, don't do anything I might suggest unless – you feel as though it is the right decision for you. Thank you for listening, and that, my friends, is what's happening on the shores of this beautiful day on the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the children are loved, and all the men, I can't even remember because I'm out of control. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. 